This is CliffCentral.com. Yep, it's Monday. We're back online. Noel Sparkly with the intro this week. Ah, you gotta love it. If you want to be part of this intro, you want a song being played, much like this one, welcome to email me, ben at thebounce.co.za. It is The Bounce Show. It is your weekly sports show where you get a good recap of the weekend. So much happening nowadays because there's World Cups at play, there's Football Cup, there's Football League, there's guys doing things on the athletics track. There's all kinds of things going on right now, so I try cram it into an, an hour. Uh, I hope I do a good job for you in doing so. If there's anything I ever leave out, just be sure to mail me, uh, chat me at, at, or hit me up on Twitter at Follow the Bounce, or yeah, wherever you, wherever you can find it. Just chat, keep your conversations going. Sport is at its absolute climax right now, and wow, have I got a good show for you today? Absolutely no guests, which might think you might think, well, that's not a very good show. But I've just got so much to get through, so I put all my guests on hold until next week. And oh boy, do we have some good ones. We've got cricket, football, rugby. Uh, we've got athletics, all these things coming to the fore, and I've got experts for you on every single way, shape, or form. Okay, Niles, enough, enough, enough. God, you get so encourageable. So that's your um, weeks ahead. Yeah, Will T20 kind of starts today. Well, sorry, tomorrow, Tuesday, uh, will be the first sort of uh, run of matches. We're into the Super 10 action at the moment. Super 18, uh, that's rugby. That's all going right now. Six Nations, that's done and dusted. Um, Arsenal fans, they're all more irate than ever. So we've got all of that. We've got the headlines. I'm going to give you a nice in-depth go at what this T20 World Cup, or World T20 as they call it, is all about. And then your usual Super AP cap from the weekend. i got the stats. I've got, the, I've got all the results there. And there were some big talking points from the weekend. So, yeah, stay with it. I've got an hour coming to you. And uh, thanks for joining me. I think we'll start off with this clip here to kind of sum up Arsenal and they'll get into the headlines. How is it we just crumble like this? Because we're shit. Basically, I have seen more, more fucking backbone in a fossilised fucking snail. You don't know all of this lot have. Yeah? Alexi's running around, nobody's moving. He's having to like have three people on him all the time. Admittedly, their first goal, right, he had Mesut in a fucking judo hold. Mm. And it, but if the whistle hasn't gone, you're supposed you've to, play play to, to the whistle. whistle. You've got to play yeah? to the whistle. But we just like part like the fucking Dead Sea. Like, mm. it, it's ridiculous. None of this lot are any good at all. Yeah, They've got no backbone, no desire, no passion. And it comes from our from the top of the club with Cronky that's only interested in taking money out of this club and, and spending it on a ranch. Yeah, because these Tottenham at the weekend. No chance. No chance. We have got <laughs> Gotta love every single week I go into this thing on YouTube, right? Arsenal Fan TV, and they find these absolute pearlers. I mean, these guys, they're, they're like salt of the earth, but like they hold nothing back, right? I just hear, just hear this guy again the way he opens his conversation. We were looking decent, but what? What? How is it we just crumble like this? Because we're shit. <laughs> because we're shit. That's the bandaded man. More Arsenal TV in a bit. But let's get into the headlines from the big weekend. And a story that is really making me excited right now is this Wade Finnecourt guy. Now, even though he's not really going to be a 100-meter contender at the Olympics, how's this for talent, right? We all know he's the world champion at the 400 meters. So he's run sub 44 in that, which is pretty good. I mean, 400 meters, you're running flat out. There's one of the hardest races in the world. You've got to have that, that, that kind of balance between explosive power and a little bit of fitness and stamina that goes with it to kind of keep you going. There is so much that you've got to do for your body to keep at that pace. He's world champ at that. Okay. It is a, very, very tough uh, discipline to, to, to train for. Usain Bolt used to be a 400-meter runner, and he just couldn't do the training anymore. He absolutely hated it, and it was enough. So he went to the shorter forms. So Wade, world champ there, sub-44. In the 200 meters, okay, so half that, he runs a sub-20. 
Now that's pretty much when you, you, you've got to do that to become Olympic, Olympic anything really. So sub 20, he's nailed that. Now over the weekend, now Wade hasn't run the 100 competitively since 2011. Now let's just bear in mind, this guy's only 23, right? The last time he ran a sub 100 or 100 meters was 2011. And uh, this weekend he came out and did it 9.98. Now, this is after Akani Sambini, he set the new SA record, 996. So, he's the first guy in history, okay? So, the first athlete ever, 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 ever to do this. Sub 44 and 400, sub 20 and 200, sub 10 in the 100. He's just an incredible athlete. And here's a guy that we can really be proud of. And it's such a great story because when it comes to athletics... We journeyed in South Africa. We don't really get much. We used to have a long jumper. Uh, we've had a couple of middle distance runners. Uh, we've got a marathon gold with Josiah Tagwani back in 94. But there's not a huge amount to be, you know, really upbeat about. Of course, Oscar Pistorius, there's that story. So we need something good. A way for Nikok is that something good and then some and then some. So good on him. It'll be fascinating to see what he's actually going to do at this Olympics. I think he'll be running the 400, obviously, because he's the, the big favorite for that. But the 200, I think he's going to be a contender there. And it's just, it takes so much. This is why it's such an amazing feat. Like I've read various books. I've done various training around the principles of sprinting and to know what goes into breaking a sub hundred, uh, 10 second mark, uh, sorry, sub 10 and a hundred. What goes into that is nothing short of us, Danny. The fact that this guy can do it over 400 as well. Absolutely amazing. Next up, we've got, um, now, last week, of course, it was all about Sharapova, right? So it was Sharapova, the drug, the drug fiend, Sharapova, the, the doper who used that substance which gives you basically more blood going around your body. Uh, she was claiming that it was meant to be for her health. Well, you can claim bullshit on a very, very high level, right? Because you're only meant to use this maybe twice throughout the year and maybe four to six weeks tops. She used it for 10 years, okay? 10 years. That just means that you know full well what you're doing and you can't have this, oh, but yeah, you know, I didn't know it was for my health thing. Just to give you a little stat here. Out of 4,316 Russian athletes that were drug tested last year, right? 724 of them, that's 17%, had the legal melondinium, sorry, meldinium. Oh, I keep cocking that up. 17% of the athletes tested, right? Now, if this is meant to be a drug for health reasons, Okay, just bear that in mind. They then tested 8,230 just usual Russians, normal everyday vodka drinking, dap, dash top uh, car scan people filming Russians. And all of 182 tested for it, right? 2.2%. So 2.2% of Russians had this in their system. 17% of Russian athletes had this in their system. So don't tell me that this is ever for your health because if it was for your health, more people would be using it, but more athletes are using it. So there goes um, Sharp Purvis Defense all in one go. Not that it took most to topple it. Anyway, so Rafael Nadal, big left arm Nadal, he was very um, outspoken in saying, it's right that she must get banned. You can't go on like this. The sport must have integrity and dopers must be punished. But now the ex-French uh, sports minister, right, now Rosalind Bachelot, she said that, well, unfortunately, uh, it's kind of rich coming from this guy because he had a, a long injury laugh in 2012, which we believe was a bit faked because he had to kind of lay low for a while after returning a positive test. So it's quite a thing to say, to s- tell someone that they've been doping, right? Because if, unless you've got your ducks in a row, it is a big allegation to make towards someone. But when you think about it, right, think about when Adele came onto the scene. Now, I haven't got the actual stats, figures, and all that kind of stuff for you. You have to go look it up for yourself. But when he came on the scene, tennis was kind of boring, right? There wasn't really much going on. Federer would essentially win pretty much everything. This was after Sampras was doing similar things. There were a couple of bit part players here and there. Djokovic was obviously still very young. He was an upcoming talent that hadn't quite made the mark just yet. So it was getting boring. Uh, people weren't really watching as much. It wasn't what it is now. So tennis needed Nadal. It needed him so badly, like really, really badly. So I'm not saying he's a doper. I'm not saying that, but you got to think that if someone's making allegations in a very senior level, an ex-French sports minister, right? So now this is obviously someone who's very much in touch with what's happening in Europe. French Open, of course, is one of the grand slams in the tennis circuit. So this person would know all that's going on around there. Nadal won that thing more than anyone else. Now, if a French ex-minister comes out and says this, there's got to be an element of truth in here. Again, you don't want to 
give way to all the speculation, but you kind of think there's something in this, right? So he had to be in the sport. I've heard from various sources that maybe there was something happening, something that didn't ever would come forward. And again, it's the integrity of tennis. Now, if tennis had had Nadal test positive back then in 2012, they would have been screwed, right? It would have looked so bad. So maybe in their best interest to kind of cover something like this up. I don't know. I think we should look into it. Nadal has gone through the last Armstrong of Armstrong offense, uh, defense, of course. He's saying that he's completely clear. He's tested fine with everyone. Everyone can vouch for him. The fact that he's not a drug fiend. He hasn't ever cheated. Blah, 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 blah. We've heard it all before. I just think that there could be something more to the story. Whether we'll ever get the real answer, I'm not entirely sure. But I just think it's it takes balls for this uh, Rosalind Bachelot to make such an allegation. And it's something that's really pissed Nadal off. So level of being pissed off to level of truth, it's not an exact formula. I still got to work on that. But hey, I think we should look into such things. Into rugby, and it was a massive, massive rugby weekend. I'm not going to get into the Super Rugby with you right now because I've got a full feature for that towards the latter stages of the show. But Six Nations, that came to a climax over the weekend. We didn't think it was going to be this weekend because even though it was kind of the decider between Wales and England, there's still another round of matches to go. So we all know how this started, right? Wales drew with Ireland. That was their big sort of downfall. But they thought, no worries, as long as we beat England in England, we can still do this. Well, that wasn't to be at halftime. England had a pretty good lead over Wales. Wales fought back, and they really did give an absolute big challenge towards the end there. But England, hey, Eddie Jones has got a good tune out of these guys. He's that brash, arrogant kind of coach that everybody wants to have coaching their team ultimately. They won't admit it, but Eddie is, and he made it very clear that he was the man to go to after the World Cup. The Stormers tried to get him. They couldn't bet him down. England and their pounds got him. And therefore, they'll, they now have the Six Nations trophy. Stuart Lancaster and his team of many minions, they tried so hard, right? And this is a team that had like a full-on process together. So they picked the team. They picked the captain. Season on season, they were trying to better themselves. Eddie Jones walked in there and said, right, you're shit. You're good. You can stay. You get lost. And he just put together this team. And there were some thoughts. Maybe the forward pack wouldn't gel enough. Would the captain have disciplinary issues? So many questions. But Eddie just said, we're going to win this, and we're going to do it, and we're going to do it right now. And there we go. Scotland beating France 29-18 means that England are now the Six Nations champions. And they've got pretty much the game against France next week to give the full Grand Slam, beating everybody. The, I mean, it's not the Grand Slam. The Grand Slam is when you just um, beat all the home nations. So... It's yeah, good for him. I, I, I completely applaud Eddie Jones' workings. And as a Stormers fan, although albeit a slight one nowadays, uh, it kind of would help feel like what would have been if Eddie was actually to stay in the Cape. Kind of sad, isn't it? It is it's just it was so slightly sad. Anyway, Six Nations done. Ireland, they played Italy. They thrashed them 58-15. But no, no other match really matters. Uh, good for Scotland. They beat France for the first time. And I think it's... Uh, 10 years now that they managed to do such a thing. They've had back-to-back victories now, sorry, I think for also for a long, long time. So Scotland on the up and up, and it'd be really great if they could actually just throw their name into the hat here. And I use an old cliche like that because I like to see these old encounters do well. We all know that Six Nations hasn't got a touch on Super Rugby when it comes to excitement, when it comes to skill sets, flair, matches where things happen. A lot of it has to do with the weather and the grounds, no doubt about it. We can't discredit them completely. But these are traditional old rivalries where there's a lot of intensity. So if Scotland can get in the mix there as well, you just got to hope they get some resources and they can get a few more players in the mix and just strengthen their squad because they've definitely got onto something here with Vern Cotter and the rest. And they showed it through the World, the World Cup and here they are beating France. And a pretty... Yeah, 2918. That's, that's pretty comprehensive. In the Canada Sevens, which was the next leg after the Blitzbox came so close in Las Vegas. Well, they've come so close again here. 1914, they lost in the finals in New Zealand. They had a really, really good semi-final and quarterfinals. They thrashed Wales 31-0. They beat Fiji 31-19 in the semi-finals. But unfortunately, got to the final against New Zealand. The old foes, those bastards, they did it again. 1914. Sorry, I shouldn't have used an Australian word to describe them, but I'm just a bit pissed off. But then again, maybe the South African team is just kind of peaking at the right time. You know, they've got the World Cup, sorry, the, um, the Olympics to go ahead with. And that is, of course, the big priority. So I don't mind if they can come second all day. If they get Olympic gold, good for them. I'm all behind that. That's, that's all that really matters right now. On to football. Oh, football was another exciting weekend because, well, 
Arsenal, right? I think we should play this clip now just to kind of bring the football back into it. Arsenal, all they've got, right? All they've got is the FA Cup. That's all they had to look forward to, really, because after they lost to Swansea, after they lost to Man United with weakened side in the Premier League, they were not going to win this league. They've now got that mathematical chance. Ah, bollocks. Leicester aren't going to falter. Spurs are looking stronger than ever. They had a good win over the weekend. So the FA Cup was it. Champions League, done. Barcelona went there and they scored two goals at the Emirates. They got no chance at the return leg in, in Spain. So all they've got there is the FA Cup. Well, as you can tell by this clip here, it didn't go so well. Really disappointing today. I mean, what went wrong for you? We are fucking shit. That is the problem. We're fucking shit. If we can't beat teams like Watford and we can't win the FA Cup, we might as well say now the fucking season's over for us. I mean, would you say that you think the season's over? I mean, we are still in. Listen, mathematically, even though we we got difficult. I mean, Everton away next week is going to be a really tough game, but we are still in it. I don't think we are because look at Robbie Leicester. like eight points ahead of us they win tomorrow they go I think it's 11 points clear of us we'll be out of it we've got no chance because of the fucking manager look at all the chances oh oh just can't oh so fucking frustrated man had enough what, what, what's your situation what's your view on the manager like I said I love Arsene Wenger as much as the next Arsenal fan does but he just gets it wrong so many times why did we play Jameis why didn't we not play Bellerin what I just don't get it, man. I really don't. But what's your opinion on it? You know, because I'm asking this, because a lot of people are sort of saying, coming out today and saying they've had enough now. It's time for him yeah. or something's got to change. What, what do you think? I think he's got to go. I'm sorry. Us Arsenal fans, we obviously, yeah, we wanted the FA Cup, but we wanted the league and all. We've bottled it. We've lost. We've lost. We're out of the FA Cup. We've got nothing to play for. We're going out this Wednesday. We have just got nothing to play for. Our season is done. And I'm sorry. Unless he goes, we need a change. Yeah, thank you, mate. And I think the only manager that would actually do a decent job here is Diego Simeone. The, the, the guy, I'll tell you, right, I will, t- I will tell you, I will tell you now. This guy, this guy, Diego Simeone, he has winning mentality. At least he'd bring some world-class players, not like the fucking manager who won't be willing to spend money. Us fans, at the end of the day, deserve better than this. We want the league. And the cup. It's only a matter of time until these guys actually completely revolt. Now, the reason, like, not just because I, I, I have an interest in Arsenal, but I just find the current dynamic with this team and this club so fascinating because it's kind of like civilized in the first world. It's not going to have, like, you know, in the PSL, when things really go bad, right? Like, we saw it recently with uh, Bloom Celtic, right? There was violence at the ground, you know, tearing up seats and that kind of stuff. It's not uncommon to see in in uh, African leagues. When people are angry, they really show they're angry, right? In England, that kind of stuff, they'll say things and there'll be chants and there'll be a flag here and there. But I'm sensing, because I watch these things, and there was a bit of violence that spilled over, a little of, you know, handbags last night outside the stadium after Arsenal lost to Watford. But you kind of think these guys, it's their life, right? Now, in South Africa, we love rugby. We love cricket and we love our football. Football in England, though, it's a different kind of thing. These guys have tattoos. They have, like, their holidays, on holidays with their family and their friends, whatever. It's away games in Europe. It's to go watch their team do these things. There is a certain race of people, essentially, these these football fans. You know, if you watch the soccer hooligan movies, uh, documentaries around it, it's all about these teams. So when you sit in there and you've just lost the league, you're a top side, you've got money, you've got some players, but you know that you could get more players, hence the, you know you've got money issue. And then they bow out like this and a cup that they should really win. That's all they've got left. These guys are going to get angrier and angrier and something's going to like just clip one of these days. One of these guys are going to do something. Mob mentality is going to set in. So... I don't know what it is. I, I still think they're probably a little bit too civilized to kind of get into that. But you see these guys, they're just getting angrier and angrier. It makes for good entertainment. But the reason, getting back to my original point here, the reason I find the Arsenal dynamic is so interesting is because Man United, they're going through a bit of a, a bit of a low period. I mean, obviously, after Alex Ferguson, Alex Ferguson, it was never going to be a great thing, right? Uh, Moyes was just thrown in and thrown out. Uh, with Van Gaal now, they don't know what they've got really. Players like old players like Paul Scholes are really speaking out now, saying how shit everything is. But they were always going to go through that growth phase, right? That regrowth, reborn kind of thing. That's fine. Liverpool, same thing. They've got a new manager. 
uh, after Steven Gerrard, after losing Suarez, they were never going to be great. So again, it was one of those things. They knew they would go through a phase like this. Arsenal, this is meant to be their prime. Arsene Wenger has worked in various systems for so long now, and he's bought strategically in his mind. They've acquired, uh, I mean, if you just look at the Emirates Stadium, right? They got, they went from Highbury there. So over the years, they just suddenly built a lot of money because the capacity is huge. They signed that massive deal with Puma. They signed the deal with Emirates. Uh, these are all big things, right? Because if you want to be a big side, you've got to make all the money off the field. It's, it's, it's not about 90 minutes when these comes to these teams. It's so much more than that. And Arsenal have all of those things, right? But they don't have titles. They're not featuring in Europe. It's a fantastic ticking time bomb to see this. So the first thing is, it's the same when people were asking for Mourinho to go from Chelsea. They were saying, well, you can't just replace him. You can't get rid of him because there's no obvious replacement. Sure. But when that's your final, final defense, basically, the final reason you're not being thrown out, that's a very, very flimsy defense. I think that's all Austin Wenger's really got. But what we aren't ever seeing and to know the full extent of is his position on the board. Now, Arsene Wenger has made a lot of people a lot of money within the Arsenal board structures, right? So when it comes to the top, yes, they're unhappy that they're not winning things and they're unhappy they're not getting success and the fans are getting pissed off. But when it comes to closed doors, I think Arsenal's getting high-fived all day, every day for just doing what he does. They get into Europe. They go far in these local kind of cups. Okay, this is a particularly bad bad run. So he himself will be very unpleased by this. But still, he's getting the business side of things going. But when is it going to be a stage where the fans actually just rise up? And maybe I'm over overhyping this a bit, but when are the fans going to rise up and really revolt against this? You see it more and more. Arsenal Fan TV is just a snapshot of what's going on there. People are going to start voting with their feet. They're not going to go watch the games. I know Arsenal kept um, away tickets, I think, for like £30 recently. So they are, you know, they always help their fans out. They are, they are pretty good. But. We saw with Liverpool when they all sort of stormed out in the 77th minute because of the £77 uh, price for tickets, I think it was. It's going to happen, and it's going to happen soon. I see it now. Right, so just getting into the actual thing. Sorry, I went off on a bit of a tangent there. So from the FA Cup over the weekend uh, into the quarterfinals there, Crystal Palace, they were too good for Reading. 2-0 victors there away from home. Everton beating Chelsea 2-0. Now, this is another big thing because Chelsea now have absolutely nothing. They, out of Europe, uh, PSG knocked them out again last week. Mid-table in the league, uh, they, yeah, they got the FA Cup, but not anymore. So there were a few sending-offs there. Uh, Diego Costa, how much longer this guy's going to be in the Premier League uh, is another another interesting subplot. Sent-off again, discipline is just all over the place. People know now he's a bit of a target. You rev this guy up, he's going to retaliate, and that could lead to cards. I mean, he almost bit a guy on the weekend. I mean, stress almost didn't actually happen. So, you know, it's, again, it's just, <laughs> it's so much drama in this league and all the things that, that spring from it. Arsenal won, Watford too. And then Man United, they were close to, to buying out as well. That would have been a fantastic weekend if all those three big clubs would have gone. But that Anthony Martial, what a, what a signing that guy was. Huh? You think when it looked like desperate money chasing some unknown teen, well, what a player he's become. You know, they spent so much, they probably spent three times as much money as he was worth, but he's really helped them out this season a hell of a lot. He scored an 83rd minute equalizer. So Man United lived a fight another day in the FA Cup. They've got a re- return match now, a replay against West Ham at West Ham. It's not a match any of these teams want to do. They want to get done and dusted at home and they want to get done and dusted in the first leg. Those re- those replays are never, never pleasant affairs. So that's FA Cup. Uh, I'm sad Chelsea and Arsenal are out. I really am. But hey, if Crystal Palace go on, Everton go on now, you know, power to them. Good for them. In the actual English Premier League, there was a few matches of the weekend. Uh, sorry, Leicester take place, uh, sorry, they take the field against Newcastle tonight, Monday night, that's 10 o'clock. They look to strengthen their lead. A lead which has been cut down to two points because Spurs beat Aston Villa 2-0. Norwich Man City 0-0. And with that, I think that's all she wrote for Man City this season. You know, the whole thing of Pellegrini leaving, Pep Guardiola arriving. Um, you know, they're still alive in Europe. They've got that left. League's gone. FA Cup's gone. Uh, they won the Capital One Cup. They beat Liverpool. So there's something in there. But the thing is, like when your manager's on the way out, you've got to wonder what the focus, the motivation, all that kind of stuff is. And just by judging from these lo- these recent results, not great. It would be good to see them go somewhere in Europe for a change, though. So, yeah, that's that's what the log looks like right now. Leicester 60 points, Spurs 58, Arsenal 52. Leicester with a game in hand on Spurs there. So look for the lead to go back to five. 
sensing that. Newcastle, they've had some shit as well. In the PSL, just a quick look at that. It's more of a cursory look now because we know this is pretty much done and dusted. The seven-point gap at the top there, eight games to go. Uh, Sundowns and Vitz, no play over the weekend, so nothing happened at the top. There was big wins for Free State Stars, Pirates, uh, Maritzburg, although they're going to be relegated, so it makes a difference. Platinum Stars had a good win over Ajax. Big thing, though, this week, uh, we've got Wednesday fixtures happening, and there'll be Sundowns versus Celtic, the embattled Bloom Celtic, who don't know whether they're coming or going right now, uh, but they're, they're still singing, no doubt. Nothing will ever stop them from singing. Sundowns host them at 7.30 on Wednesday, and then Fitz versus Pirates at 7.30. So, essentially, Fitz have to win that. Sundowns have to lose that to make it interesting in the slightest, but I doubt it'll happening. So, that kind of wraps up your football, kind of wraps up uh, other headlines just to finish off with golf and what a special weekend it was for golf SA players now I've been given quite a lot of airtime recently to the young SA talents that are coming through and I'm talking about Hayden Porteous he won the Joburg Open talking about Brandon Stone he won the SA Open these are really good talented and very hungry street smart players these guys have done the hard yards and amateur ranks uh, Brandon Stone in particular, you know, he went over to America, the whole college system. He was in the same university as Jordan Spieth. Very similar time, played in the same team. Jordan Spieth went on to win, well, become world number one. And Brandon Stone basically went on to, well, obviously a lot less, less heights. He's playing locally in SA, but here's a guy. He took all that experience. Okay. I and mean, he knows onto a good thing here. Goes European to a card. He's going to be a, exactly a huge force as we all expect. And he won the SA Open. So. The guy's looking great for the future. It was down to him and Porteous in the final round of the Investec Cup. Played at Millvale over the weekend. And uh, Porteous missed a short putt in the 17th. Neck and neck going down 18. Unfortunately, Stone's tee shot went into the bunker. His second then went into the water. And Porteous, routine par, winner of the Investec Cup. But the big winner that weekend, well, the big winner from the season in total actually was Dean Burmeister. He got a whopping 4 million rand bonus by winning the Chase Investec Cup. So what Investec does is they put a whole bunch of money into local golf in the men's and the women's. I mean, Bertine Strauss, three out of three wins for her. She won the Investec Cup for ladies over the weekend. The Chase was won by Leanne Pace. So there's money going into our local talent. And the local talent can take this money and go into bigger and better things because that's unfortunately how pro sport works. I mean, we touched on it a few weeks back in the tennis. If you've got some cash, you can go and tour the world, play in the big events, get your world ranking points up. So, Dean Burmeister, 4 million rand, what you can do with that, when you invest that much money into yourself as a local golfer, suddenly you can try and qualify for the big tours, try and get the card for the European tour. It's just crazy how this guy, Dean Burmeister, got at the top 100, and then it's just by essentially doing really well in the events open to him locally here in SA. It's an incredible feat and incredible golfer. I think this guy's on to huge things. And again, I've just got to applaud uh, companies like Investec. You know, putting money into sport is all good and well to you know, hide behind certain sponsorships and get some token uh, brand time here and there. But strategically, where it's placed is what makes a big difference. And this is what's happening here. So good on them. But the big story from the golf. Headline's almost down, I promise. The big story, Charles Swartzel has won on the US PGA Tour. Now, we haven't had, South African, from a South African's perspective, we haven't done too well in this US PGA Tour for quite some time. Like, Ernie was really good. Trevor Immerman had a moment. Retief was really good. But then there's been this gap. Um, you know, like, they still do well in the European Tour. But guys like Louis Ostez and Charles Swartzel, they've never really kicked on and kind of just played enough events, got used to the conditions enough, and really, really shone. But here we have Charles Swartzel. He won the Velspur Championships. Old spot, sorry. That was defending champion uh, Jordan Spieth's big event. Jordan Spieth had a rocky first round, great next two rounds, but he fell off. I think he was tied 18th in the end. But Schwarzl, from five back on the final round, shot a beautiful 67 in very tough conditions, got into a playoff with Bill Haas, and a par in the first hole was good enough. So he wins that one. Which is really cool. Of course, the other time that Charles won in America was the Masters. So this is just going to do him a world of good. He won the Schwane Open earlier this year as well. So he's in good form. And this is after he did so well at Dunhill as well. If you look back, he's actually South Africa's best bet going forward this year for the majors. Because if you look at his form, he wins the, the Dunhill at Leopard Creek. He then gets the violent shits. I mean, the guy was falling through his arsehole over Christmas, uh, festive season. Had to pull out the S Open. Had to pull out the Joburg Open, which he's won so many times as well. He found his way back, played the Schwane Open, a cut above the rest in that one. And here he is, winning in America against the star-studded field. Some of the best in the world here. The real has also had a good showing. So now we're basically just counting down to the Masters, uh, 7th of April. I've got a lot of info for you on that, and I've got a really great guest. But, sure, I think that's enough. Huh? That's enough for the headlines. Uh, we need to get into the cricket. Uh, cricket being 
the Super 6s, sorry, Super 10s, that's what they're calling it. So that essentially is uh, the next stage, the stage proper, uh, you could call it, for the World T20. Now, the World T20, two phases. The first phase was what they call the associate nations. Now, they basically had to play a pre-qualifier to get into the big tournament. Now, the big guys are all the big test teams. So in order to do so, teams like Scotland, Oman, Hong Kong, um, Netherlands, Bangladesh, Zimbabwe, Afghanistan, they were all pitted together in a first round of fixtures. So Bangladesh won through and Afghanistan won through. So they're into their respective pools. We'll get into that in a second. But one thing I do want to touch on is just the, the plight. I don't use that word lightly, the plight of the associate nations. I'm going to play a little clip for you here, and then I'm going to elaborate on that. Come on. Oops, sorry. I want a different mixer today um, in the pre-record studio, so just bear with me two seconds while I get this back. I've got a Scottish guy frothing at the mouth here. Let me try to get him on. There is a lack of international cricket for us. Um, since the 2015 World Cup, I've played in one one-day international match. It doesn't happen in any other world competition. You, uh, every other sport grows the competition. You look at football, they're increasing the amount of teams for the 2023 World Cup. It's pretty hard to tell a guy like Paul Vermaker, for example, he may get another opportunity if we play really, really good cricket and qualify for, to get even this far. He may get another opportunity in three or four years' time. It's just a shame that the ICC at the top level keep insistent on, on cotton teams. Associate cricket is about winning at all costs. Um, and unfortunately, that's just the nature of the beast. And it is a beast. There is money being spent on expanding the game. I think that... Uh, the revenue should be shared more. We have opportunity to play so our young guys have that opportunity to become better cricketers so that the game spreads throughout the world. So you tell me how I'm going to improve my skills and develop as a cricketer. Some pretty harsh words there with a dramatic back, backing track. Now, if you go to Cricket uh, cricket Info, which is just an amazing sporting site, try find an article by Jared Kimber, or better yet, follow Jared on Twitter. Uh, it's at a Jared Kimber. Now, um, something I'm going to get into next week is a movie or documentary I watched recently involving Jared, uh, Death of a Gentleman. And it's about cricket and how it's changing and how it's just not doing anything for these associate nations. So you heard there on the clip a couple of the, the captains. There was the Irish, uh, Scottish, and Danish, sorry, not Danish, uh, <laughs> Dutch captain. They were talking about how, you know, it's all, it's, it, it's make or break when it comes down to the, to, to the associate nations. They get so few games, so few chances to really shine against big opposition that every single match is like a must win. Everything is at stake kind of match. So Scotland won their first ever ICC proper big tournament uh, match of the weekend, right? Now they've gone to the 50 over World Cups. They've played in the T20s against Hong Kong. That was their first win. So in this article by Jared Kimber, he's basically saying that there's no such thing as a dead rubber. You're never playing for pride. You're always playing with pride because every single time that you play in these tournaments is a slight chance, a slight chance you can get something from this for your team, for your career. Because these guys in the associate nations, right, um, like again, the teams I mentioned earlier, these guys aren't making money from, from cricket. You know, you'd look at the IPL and these guys are getting paid a million dollars for six weeks. These guys might not get paid a million dollars in their entire career. In fact, they won't. Of course they won't. Never ever going to happen. So everything they do is, is such a passion project. Okay. So they're giving up their jobs. They're putting their studies aside. They, they're not making money. They're, they're making huge sacrifices to get anywhere they can just to play these events. And then when it comes down to it, there was only two of those associate teams. We're going to go through to the big round where we are now, right? The Super 10 uh, section of it. Only two teams. So everything was on those matches. And then to make it even worse, it rained. Some of the games got rained out. They just have such a shit time of it. There's no other way to describe it. So again, like I, I encourage you, read up on this. Uh, watch the, the documentary, uh, Death of a Gentleman. Um, it's, it, it, there's so much to learn out there. It really is. And, uh, I hope I haven't cocked up any of those references, but there's so much to learn about the associate plight. And, you know, there's ways that we can try change it. Again, I'll get into that in depth next week, but uh, we're running out of time, so we need to get straight into what the Super 10s involve. So, right, Afghanistan, right, really did so well in that first round of fixtures. They are now in Group A. They are now going to be with England, South Africa, Sri Lanka, and West Indies. Bangladesh, they won through into the, the stage of the tournament. They're in Group B with Australia. India, New Zealand, and Pakistan. I mean, they're calling that one the group of death, but in T20, 
it's just it's just tough. Both sides both both sides are really tough. There's no way that any of these teams can be completely crap. And on their day, I mean, Pakistan can be amazing. Sri Lanka can also be amazing. And we all know the threats that you have from the big teams like India, South Africa, Australia. So just to run you through the fixtures very quickly here for the first week. Now, I'm not going to give you all of them. I'm just going to get through this first week so we know exactly what we're looking at. Tuesday, that's tomorrow. India versus New Zealand at six, sorry, four o'clock. So the big games here from a South African perspective, that's Greenwich Mean Time plus two. Four and 11.30 will be your two time points. So Tuesday, India versus New Zealand, the big opener there. Expect India to win that one. I'm pretty sure they will. Wednesday, we've got Pakistan versus Bangladesh. Very even match there. Pakistan really can't bat too well at the moment. Very unsettled. You never know what's going to happen there. Bangladesh, well, they've got the iron, right? They've had the intensity of the first round, so they'll be raring to go. England versus the West Indies. England, their only real threat there is with the batting. I think bowling, they're still very green. Particularly in these conditions, they're going to be a lot asked of, of guys like Rashid and Ali to do something with the spin. West Indies, on the other hand, well, you just know they're going to throw everything at it. They just beat Australia in a warm-up match. So, again, very, very good tussle to look forward to. Thursday, Afghanistan makes their big debut in this round versus Sri Lanka. And I wouldn't be surprised for an upset there. This Afghanistan side, pretty handy. Good batsman. It's a joy to watch. I mean, these guys... Just, again, you don't have to get into it. Afghanistan, to think of the past they've had in the last decade. The fact they've got a cricket team and these guys are there and they're competing, amazing, okay? Sri Lanka is their first opponent. That is 4 o'clock SA time on Thursday. Friday sees South Africa get the first match. Before that, Australia take on New Zealand at 11.30 and then England versus SA at 6 o'clock, so 4 o'clock again. Saturday, we'll see India take on Pakistan. Now, this this match has been moved to Eden Gardens in Kolkata. It was meant to be in Dharmasala. But security concerns, and you know these two hate each other. Whenever they play, it's like World War Three for them. It's it's quite messy. At the same time, a little bit immature, I think. They're, people have got to find ways of getting past conflict and stuff, especially when it comes to sport. Anyway, India versus Pakistan, Sunday, 4 o'clock, GMT plus 2. And then Sunday. Now, the reason I want to bring up Sunday is because Afghanistan versus South Africa, not only are South Africa playing, but I shall be giving you Alternative commentary, along with my friend Langdon Bat, Langdon Bat, and Simi Aref, now one of the greatest sporting cricketing people I've met in the last three, four years, has been Simi, and he is raring to go. He's teed up and ready to go, open mic. So you'll be able to listen to the entire match. Alternative commentary will be giving you ball by ball commentary. That's at cliffcentral.com. I'll remind you more about that uh, close to time on social media. And then Sri Lanka versus West Indies. That wraps up your first week of this World T20. Sri Lanka versus West Indies, 4 o'clock on Sunday. So I've got a whole guide, all of this, right? I didn't expect you to memorize that. If you go onto the bounce.co.za, you'll see all of this. You'll get the whole survival guide for this first round. And what I've done for you as well, I've got the people to follow throughout this tournament. Now, we can't cover everything. Um, you know, you can try watch, you can try read certain things. But what I really, really encourage you to do is just follow the right people on Twitter. I'm just going to run you through a very quick list. You can see their profiles. You can you just click on their, their handles. I've done it all for you. So people you must, must follow for uh, the World T20 going forward. Dennis Cricket underscore naturally Dennis he's been on the bounce show a few times just an amazing cricket um, cricketing mind very entertaining guy he writes a lot of good stuff too at the cricket geek you got to follow him same with Simi Aref my guest on Sunday for the live commentary and then we've got Dan Liebke from Australia very very funny guy he writes these really great player ratings as well Holding Willy, uh, it's a site that I write for. It's a site that's got everything from like uh, live commentary, uh, up to the minute news, ball by ball commentary. They do everything. They do everything. They've got a whole bunch of writers providing all kinds of different insights too. So you've got to have them on your feed. Then as I mentioned earlier, uh, Jared Kimber, you've got to follow him. He's in India on the ground. Uh, he's just such an insightful, interesting guy. Andrew Nixon, 79, another guy who just loves his crickets. Also just so clever. Pavilion Opinion, James Marsh, I've had him on the show a few times, and the must-follow, and then Alt Cricket, of course. It's still, to me, the ultimate cricketing uh, follow on Twitter. Get all of that together. You'll get every single piece of information you need. You'll get every single piece of insights around things. You'll never want for anything, and you'll know exactly what's going on. That is Will T20, all summed up. Go on to the Bouncer Seals today right now and get that full guide. It is as easy as that. Right, which then just leaves us into the final feature for this week. Uh, thanks for joining me for this one. Or well, next week we'll have the show back to normal with full guests. I just thought we had so much to try to get through today that uh, we just didn't have time. And I hate rushing guests. You know the whole thing about. 
being online is that you get freedom. You get to say whatever you want. You get to have lots of time with people, really unpack conversations. So if I've only got five minutes with someone, I'd rather have it for next week. And I've got some really, really great guests for you lined up. And again, if there's something, somebody you would like me to talk to, I'm really open to suggestions. I'm not going to talk to, to sports uh, stars. It's not really something I've ever done in my in my sporting career. I just don't think you get the insights you need. They're so guarded and for good reasons too. They can't have a frank chat about things. So I'm generally going to stay away from them. But if there's anyone else you want me to chat to, just email me, ben at thebounce.co.za. Right, big breath. Last section of the, of the day for the week. It's got to be super rugby. Now, the first thing, of course, we have to talk about is uh, Stormers versus Sharks. But seeing as it was the last match, let's just hold back on that, okay? Because I know you either got an opinion that it was a penalty try or it wasn't, if you are a South African fan. But let me try to compose myself, and let's end off with that, shall we? First match of the weekend was the Blues versus the Hurricanes. Now, the Hurricanes, they've lost two out of two. Not great form going into this one, but they turned it around. Now, the Blues, if you looked at their stats, right... Now, they were number one in offloads. They were number one in carries. They were number one defenders beaten, number two in meters run, and number three in clean breaks. These guys were dangerous with the ball, okay? They're really, really dangerous. But they couldn't get over the Hurricanes. The Hurricanes just played a smarter game. Percentage players here and there, they were a whole lot better on the turnovers, okay? Turnovers one, number one. That already is severe. I mean, if you've got players like that in your team, stuff's going to go down in the breakdown. Uh... Hurricanes also had to make the most amount of tackles, and they also just kick smart. You know, when all else fails in Super Rugby and you're not getting the measure of your team, don't be shy to put the ball in the boot. I think a lot of teams are showing that. I mean, the, the Bramby showed it as well. Crusaders showed it against the Blues last week. It is not a complete crime to kick the ball. If you do it smart, you can get, especially against a team like the Blues, who are just frenetic and they just want to run everything. If you can kick smart, you can generally win the game. I mean, the, the, the Hurricanes in the end were 14th on meters run. Uh, that's not so good. But the thing is, they used opportunities, although there were much fewer than the Blues, and a really good winner away from home there. 19 Blues, 23 Hurricanes. Brumbies versus the Force. Well, the Force are never going to win this one. It was as simple as that. The Brumbies are far and ahead the best the best team in Australia. Uh, I don't even think that's an exaggeration in any form. They've got a really great side. They've got great experience. I mean, they're French row alone. You've got guys like Stephen Moore with over 150 caps. You've got a guy like Ben Alexander, over 100 caps. You get just your, your set pieces right. Going back to my point about kicking, I know Super Rugby is all about the, the flash and the thrash and getting tries and running. But if you get your line-out good, you get your scrum good, everything else follows from there. Brumbies, number one on lineouts, one on own throw. Number one on lineouts stolen of the weekend as well. There's a team that's disrupting set pieces. It's difficult to kind of play against a team where you can't get your set pieces right, whether it be scrums or lineouts. It happened with the force. Force as well. They put under so much pressure by this Brumbies team that discipline just didn't help them out in the end. They got like, two yellow cards, I think it was. They were the worst team for the weekend on yellow cards. And it's difficult to play against the Brumbies with 15 men let alone 14. So they conceded the most penalties for the weekend as well, did the force, and throw that, they had, had to make the fifth most amount of tackles of any other team. The Brumbies, second, uh, number two on tries, uh, number three on most carries made, number one on most passes. This is a bloody good side, and I fear any any team going ahead of them in the, in the tournament going forward will be slightly apprehensive, I think, nervous as well. On to Saturday's fixtures, the Highlanders versus the Lions. Now, everyone was so excited about watching this one because the Lions have been playing tremendous rugby. And the Highlanders, well, they haven't quite the straps just yet. They lost an opening game to the Blues. They were very, very close against the Hurricanes at home. And, uh, well, they probably should have won that one by more if it wasn't for some dodgy ref decisions. But we haven't talked about refs just yet. Lions, they went out there, and they were pretty good in the first half. It was quite a bit of a sparring battle in the beginning, but the Lions had the bulk of the play. Now, if you look at their stats again, all right, before we get into the actual match, Lions, they were number two in offloads, right? Number two in carries, number four in defenders beaten, and only 13th, down, all the way down at 13th when it comes to kicks from hand. They were also down, all the way down in 14th, 14th most tackles by any team this this, this uh, weekend. So they had the ball. They, no doubt about it, they had the ball all the time. But what happened? They turned it over. They coughed the ball up every now and again, and the Highlanders literally scored a try every time they did so. And after after half time, it was neck and neck, and suddenly the Highlanders scored 14 points, like just like that. Before you could even think the second half was really into it. Turn of the balls, length of the field runs. Now to know that these guys, um, their carries for the weekend, right? They were the 14th 
team, 14th best team in carries. Because when they got the ball, they ran literally the length of the field. They weren't knocking it up. Every time they pounced on the loose ball from the Lions and 34-50 in the end score there. It wasn't good enough for a bonus point. The Lions did fight back and they should have had a try right at the death, but it makes no difference. The Lions are a good side. They are an attractive running team. They're definitely going to be a handful for everyone going forward. And I still think they've got, they've got a chance in this tournament, but they've got to hold on to that ball more. This match is a prime example of the fact that you can have all the attacking skills in the world, but you've got to have your basics. You've got to execute your basics. And it was just a shame because it literally was the difference between these two teams. Some people say there was a couple of contentious uh, refereeing calls that led to the, the, the Highlanders' tries, but it wasn't. Lions just purely did not secure the ball. Easy as that. Rebels versus Reds. There wasn't a lot of hype around this one going into the weekend, and rightly so. But what a game it was actually in the end. Rebels are pretty good at home. Getting the 25-23 win in the end. Now, the Reds, they had to fire their coach recently. They've got very few star players, but they managed to take the Rebels all the way. And if it wasn't for going down 14 men in the last eight minutes, they could have, they could have snatched it. Their goal kicking also was very poor. Again, basics. Basics gets you wins here, and the Reds don't have any. They are also second worst when it comes to missed tackles. They were all the way down to 13th in Lions 1 and own throw. And they were a miserable 14th when it came to kicking their penalty goals. Rebels, on the other hand, well, they slotted all their goals. They were the best team in the weekend. Second best on defenders beaten. Fifth best on offloads. And all the way down in 13th when it comes to handling errors. So the Rebels put in a good performance there. Again, maybe this is a side. I thought they were they were going to do well. And then they went to Batora and got absolutely thrashed. So maybe a work in progress still. But anyway, the Reds, well... Oh, not looking so good. A match that we knew was going to be a fast, open, and rather maybe clumsy affair at stages was the Sunwolves versus the Cheetahs, and it sure was. The Cheetahs, we all know they can score tries, no doubt about that, but sure can they leak them as well. Sunwolves go off to a crazy start. They wing Yamada had a hat-trick in the first half. Four tries for the Japanese team. They were playing this particular match in Singapore. Four tries for the Sunwolves as they ran through the Cheetahs in the first half. Cheetahs were always going to fight back. They always had the firepower. And essentially, they got a late try, win by one point. It's good enough for the Cheetahs. Third best on the weekend through offloads. Third best for line-out stolen. But they also kicked a lot this time around. So again, trying to vary the game plan didn't quite work, but it got through in the end. And uh, the Sunwolves, on the other hand, they also kicked a lot. So it's funny, the, the match was really open. A lot of tries being scored, but both teams kicked a hell of a lot. Fourth best for clean breaks with the Sunwolves and fifth best for meters run. They just couldn't disrupt the Cheetahs' ball enough. All the way down to 13th on the weekend for turnovers. On to the Kings versus the Chiefs. Wow. You've got to feel for these Chiefs. Uh, sorry, the Kings, right? Now, you can't doubt their effort. You can't doubt the commitment at any stage of the game. They really are a team that's just trying their absolute utmost best. But when you think they've got no money, they've got really no players, they've got no hope. And that's just that's just it. That's the reality of all of this. Try as they may, they took a huge pounding to the Chiefs side. A Chiefs team that did bring some changes. 58-24. You know, the Chiefs, that just show how tenacious they were, right? Second best uh, turnovers for the weekend. Uh, but unfortunately, again, it's the pressure that other teams put on them. They were the third worst when it came to missed tackles. Uh, they were all the way down at 14th with defenders beaten. And it comes to the offloads. Well, they don't have the ball enough, enough faith to know what they're doing with the ball to offload. So they were down at 13th for that. The Chiefs, on the other hand, well, they they weren't exactly clinical. Penalties conceded, they were the worst in the whole tournament this weekend, but they were the best in clean breaks, the best in meters run, the second best in, in defenders uh, beaten, and they only had to make a few, like a few tackles, so they were down in 14th in tackles made. The Chiefs now go to Argentina, right? But it's crazy, they had to literally wake up at 6 o'clock yesterday, Sunday morning, to fly to Johannesburg. Now, Johannesburg to Sao Paulo, and then from Sao Paulo down to Buenos Aires. Because it's not the easiest place to get to Argentina. So they are going to be so jet-lagged. They're going to be so rattled. And it's going to be so interesting to see what the Jagu- Jaguars now can do at home. And the Chiefs are going to be the first sort of guinea pigs towards this. Final match of the weekend. Let's get into that to wrap it up, shall we? Sharks versus the Stormers at Newlands. This was always going to be that good old-fashioned arm wrestle. It was going to come down to maybe a, a moment of brilliance or something. You know, along the lines, these teams always had those tight clashes. For me, it's... It's become almost a, a, a bigger derby than uh, the North-South Bulls versus Stormers because these two teams, they always will try to assert the fact that they are the best in the country and they've got fair reason to do so. It was tight. It was a battle of attrition. 
unfortunately for the Stormers, uh, their first choice flyoff was is out for about twelve weeks now. Robert Dupree, uh, Kurt Coleman's come in, and unfortunately, unfortunately for for Coleman, he just never really kicked on to the point where you really want that guy first choice, and he's going to do anything. And this is going to always going to be the Achilles heel for the Stormers this season is they haven't got a world class flyoff. It's as simple as that. Oh yeah, that and losing Eddie Jones. But let's not try to dwell on that too much. Anyway, Stormers were up ten, ten to three. Uh, second half, um, yeah, it got to the point where the ref came into play. Now, I try to get some footage for you just to even play, but there's nothing. So if you find it on whatever uh, satellite supply you have, maybe we can get a catch up. The big decision here is, did Siokulisi kick the ball out of Rhinox's hand? If you watch it in real time, right, your answer is going to be no. If you watch it in slow-mo, after looking for it in slow-mo, the answer is yes. Now, look, I think the Sharks probably should have won this anyway. That late try just showed the frailties of the Stormers. The Stormers couldn't get through this line. Uh, they scored one goal, one, one try, and it was a pretty lucky one because of the luck of the bounce. So let's not even talk about the result of this match. Sharks won. Good for them. Full credit for them. Take the win. All yours. My point here, and this is something I want to bring up on the back of this match as we finish up for the week. The slow-mo referee decisions, right? It's all good and well. It's good to be clinical. It's good to make the right calls. But do you not think it's ruining rugby a little bit? Because if you watch things in real time, you can get a good understanding. The referees are right there. They're right there on the spot. And I know, I know there's huge pressure on these guys to make the right call. And when they do cock it up, there is even more hatred leaps upon them. And if they don't use the TMO or the slow-mos, even more hatred, right? But this is my point here. I do have a point on all of this. Um, the slow-mo replay. If a guy says, can you give me a reason why you can't award the try? And you're sitting there and you're deliberating, right? And you're just basically looking at it from a certain mindset. The mindset is of a negative one. You want to find something wrong from the defender, right? And you're watching a slow-mo. So when you see a Sikulisi's boot come towards where the ball was, in real time, it looked like Kubis Rano reached for the try line, but just dropped the ball in his foot, knocked it on, okay? Again, I don't want to take a side in this who's right and who's wrong. It's the issue of the slow-mo, which I'm, I'm bringing up here. You showed in slow-mo, it looks so deliberate because in your mind, you're looking for a boot. That's all it is. In your mind, you've got a certain sort of prejudice towards the, the thing you're about to see. So when that foot hits the ball, you're going, ah, okay, yeah, I see what you mean now. Let's just play it again. Now, You've got the mindset in your head. You watch it again. That foot very much looks like it's kicking the ball out of the hand. No doubt. Yeah, why not? Every single time. They watched that slow-mo six or seven times, right? And it became quite clear because that was what they're looking for. Skulkberger was just amazed. He was saying it was accidental. He literally walked into it. Circulisi had the exact same look on his face. The ref as well, you could see he was hesitant. Commentators at the time said this is the wrong decision. I'm not saying it's wrong or right because it's done now. We can't reverse the victory. All I can say is I think too much is being made of the slow-mo. I think what we've got to do is we've got to balance it with the real-time motion. Same goes for foul play. If you see a guy falling on another guy with an elbow, right? You watch it in slow-mo and you're watching for foul play, the only outcome is going to be malicious. You watch it in real-time, the guy might have just fallen, and that's just gravity. So we've got to have this. Take with a pinch of salt sometimes. That's what I'm saying. That's my final word in it. Just very quickly to wrap it up. Fixtures for this weekend coming forward in Super Rugby. Hurricanes versus Force on Friday, 8.35. Waratahs versus the Highlanders, 10.45 on Friday. And the Bulls versus the Sharks. Big Friday night's SA Clash, 7 o'clock. Saturday, we've got the Sun Bulls versus the Rebels. 6.15, early morning match. Crusaders versus the Kings. Ouch. 8.35. Reds versus the Blues, 10.45. Lions versus the Cheetahs. The Cheetahs are back, and that's 5.05. We'll find them in SA, playing against the Lions, who are also back from the little tour. And then Stormers versus the Brumbies. If you want to make a sporting bet, I would say put some money on Brumbies now while you might get some half ass decent odds. That match, 7.15. That'll wrap up your weekend for Super Rugby this coming weekend. And that wraps up this weekend of The Bounce Show. Go on to The Bounce of today for throughout the week. I'm going to get all kinds of articles. Look at the survival guide for the cricket and follow me at Follow The Bounce on Twitter. Catch you back next week. This is CliffCentral.com.